I love Easter. Like, I love everything about Easter. I love bunnies, and I don't care if they're in chocolate or in gravy. Come on, somebody. It doesn't matter to me. I love that God made them. 80% of people start with the ears and work their way down. 20% of us eat whatever's on the table. I'm in the 20th percentile, gang. I love the, uh, the fact that Reese's takes the best chocolate and peanut butter combination in the world and makes it into an egg. And then somehow a bunny has an egg and we call it Cadbury. And I will make a Reese's and Cadbury sandwich and be happy, happy, happy. I love Easter. I, I love the inspiration of Easter. I, I, I love the excitement and, and, and the faithfulness. Uh, I, I love to see the potential of the body of Christ in a community when they all show up at the same time in the same place in one mind and one accord. I, I believe that eternity is explained by Easter. From Good Friday's remembrance of the power of the blood to the atonement of the cross to the empty tomb. Good Friday, the cross, the empty grave, the resurrection. It's the only system of faith in the world that has a God who loved them so much that he came and was tempted in every way but without sin. He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He prophesied his own death, burial, resurrection, and pulled it off. You show me another system of faith that is that faithful, and I will position my belief in that. But until then, I'm celebrating Easter. And I don't mean, I don't mean the Anglo-Saxon goddess of fertility, just to go ahead and throw that one out there. I mean Abba, the dawn, Ostarum, Pascha, Passover. See, I believe as the sun rises in the east at dawn every day, so did the Son of God as the ultimate Passover lamb rise at dawn on the third day, just like he said he would. I love Easter Resurrection Weekend. And as reviving and inspiring as Resurrection Weekend is, I, uh, I feel like Monday morning and the next Sunday are as challenging as Easter Sunday is inspiring. I kind of feel like Jesus, when he comes out of the tomb and he looks around and nobody's there. Everybody that was there is not there anymore. I think Jesus spoke specifically of his death three different times. And if you read through the Gospels, he alluded to his death about six times. It is recorded in the Gospels 21 times that Jesus prophesied he would rise from the dead. And yet when the stone was rolled away and the Savior of the world walked out of the grave, nobody was there. It's like the Sunday after Easter. It's projected approximately 2 billion people around the world will celebrate Easter. And yet... For whatever reason, as much and maybe even more than ever, people are having a really hard time believing this bestseller of all time. Those who say they do believe in the Bible and God's word are having a hard time actually living it out. 
And those who are confident of who they are in Christ, and if you're in Christ, then you should be confident. And it should be reflected in the way that you live. And those who are following Jesus and, and living this thing out on a daily basis, they have a hard time explaining why or being willing to share their faith. Phrases like, I don't know what I believe anymore. People who struggle with doubt or maybe even unbelief because, because tra tragedy struck or because God brought home a loved one or this temporary life showed its frailty and, and we have a hard time believing in a holy God because what he said would happen happens in somebody's life. And, and when God brings home one of his saints, we doubt his existence, which I'm not saying that we don't reserve the right to, to ask our heavenly father why or, or seek to understand or seek him to bring reason to a season. But it really doesn't make sense that we would doubt the existence of eternity because God brings or ushers somebody into it. Life didn't work out the way we expected or God didn't respond the way that we ask and so we doubt and wonder whether he's even listening or possibly even there. Teenagers leaving the faith at an alarming 80 plus percent rate when they walk out of their homes and they leave their youth group or their student ministry and they go on the college campuses because they are not prepared for the philosophy professor's instruction and or in, in insinuation that, that we are supposed to believe in, in more than one God and that God is just an idea of educated enlightenment and the path to betterment is that you would just inform yourself at a higher level and all I ideas of God can lead to the same place or that same student may sit in a biology class and a professor emphasizes the theological hypothesis of evolution over creation an idea that is based on the assumption that the universe had no beginning and the universe has no end even though the scientific proof is not there that nothing for no reason just happened to turn into matter that turned into bacterial excrement that turned into a fish, a bird, a monkey, and a man. Now, of course, we can't determine gender according to biology and chromosomes because feelings are greater than fact. And in fact, it doesn't even matter what truth is anymore. What's more important is how we feel about what truth is. And facts are trumped by feelings because we should care more about the individual than we do the absolutes. So biology is conclusive in regards to the hypothetical theory of evolution, but all of a sudden it's inconclusive in regards to gender. I'll get off of that soapbox because it's not going very well. Maybe that was, maybe that was a little far-fetched. Maybe you sit in here today and, and you would admit, man, I, you know, I believe in a higher power. And man, I hate that phrase. Well, I mean, I mean there could be a God. I'm, there's just no way to know. How could we know that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one true God, that, that Jesus was really the Son of God. I'm so glad you asked. In fact, it's my objective today to prove that everything on earth and in eternity hinges on the resurrection. It's like this 
several thousand dollar speaker that hangs so subtly over my head every Sunday. It has one brace, one hinge. And if the hinge is not there, then Chris is not here. <laughs> if, if the resurrection is not true, then the Bible's not true. If the Bible's not true, then Jesus was a lying lunatic and or an impossible legend made up by some insecure Jewish people under Roman oppression. If the resurrection is not true, then nothing else about those things exists either. But if it is true, then eternity is actually explained by Resurrection Sunday. Eternity is explained by Easter. And if the resurrection is true, then Jesus is not a liar. Jesus is not a lunatic. And Jesus is not a legend. He was who he said he is. And he is who he said he was. He did what he came to do. And Jesus is Lord. So... By taking the event of the resurrection, you could exclude Jesus' divinity. That's his eternal nature. You could exclude the fact that he is God, and yet this statement remains true. That Jesus' resurrection transformed cultural norms. What was accepted by people in that society. And Jesus of Nazareth, supposed resurrection actually altered the course of history. See, you can't just call Jesus a good man because he claimed to be God. And if he wasn't, then he was a liar. And you can't just call Jesus a good prophet because he said he would rise from the dead and if he didn't, then he's not a prophet. And you can't just say that Jesus is another good teacher because he said absolutely and exclusively, I am the only way to the Father. See, the resurrection is actually the most reasonable explanation of why the Roman government and the Jewish elite were never able to produce the body of Jesus Christ. Because we know this statement to be true according to history. Spent... Five years in a secular university, I did earn my degree. I know it takes most people four, but it took me five. I'm an overachiever. <laughs> and throughout that degree, with a focus on history and more economics class than I ever intended to take as well, I believe that I can prove, not just according to scripture, but according to sociology, that the resurrection is the pinnacle of the human history. The resurrection is the event that had the most impact on any civilization. In fact, no other event in history had the impact that the resurrection had on the Roman Empire. There are admittedly other ideologies. You'll hear about those in our school system, in our secular university, and God forbid, and even some of our so-called God-fearing universities. There are other systems of faith, and we need to be respectful of people, but understood and give an account for why we believe what we believe. There, there are other people of influence, like Gandhi, 
And there are even other supposed gods, which are really just demonic powers and principalities doing their best to hang on until the end that they see coming. But none of those events, none of those ideas, none of those people, none of those powers or principalities of darkness, none of those things altered history and transformed what was acceptable or normal like Jesus. No other event, no other person, no other human in history had the impact that Jesus of Nazareth had in just three years. Three years. Now, when I was in graduate school, I had a professor, Dr. Jimmy White, who also worked for an organization called Church Life, and, and Dr. White showed us the statistics on how long it takes to kind of turn a, a cultural ship, if you will. How long it takes for a pastor or a team of people to come in and actually transform culture or redirect mentalities. What Dr. White was not considering was moving into Cajun country and shifting the ideology of Cajun people. He didn't understand that was gonna be like walking through gumbo mud and Crocs. It's hard not to leave anybody behind. <laughs> but according to statistics, if you were to move into a community and begin to try to pastor a church, it would take you at least five years to even begin the transition. And Dr. White actually said, if you're not willing to go somewhere and stay for longer than that, you shouldn't even go because you're not gonna have the impact that you're supposed to have. And yet Jesus changed the world and Jesus started a conversation that is still the most anointed or offensive conversation on earth to this day that's not an accident the resurrection of Jesus is the kairos moment in time that recalibrated the course of history it's the moment that changed the trajectory of humanity the Hubble telescope has provided evidence over the last few years that the universe is not steel. In other words, despite people like Albert Einstein who hated to admit that the universe was expanding, scientists finally came to agree with what theologians had been saying for years. And according to the scientific Hubble constant, the universe is not only expanding, but the universe is actually accelerating. This world is not gonna last if we don't take care of it. No, the world is not gonna last no matter what we do. Now, we should still be good stewards of the things that God has given us, but the truth is the world had a beginning, it's gonna be baptized by fire, and it's gonna have a new beginning. It's always been expanding. If it was expanding, then it had to have a beginning. If it had a beginning, it had to have a design. If it had a design, it had to have a designer. In the beginning, God. 
God created the heavens and the earth. It's easy to argue with until you understand that science does not debate scripture. It actually confirms scripture and they complement one another. But why is the universe accelerating? Let me preach for just a second. I'm not saying this is a biblical absolute. This is actually excited interpretation by just this one man. I believe that the earth began to accelerate 2,000 years ago when Jesus was on the cross and he declared it is finished. The Bible says that the earth went dark and there was a great earthquake. See, I believe that the earth realized that its creator had just been killed, but its savior was about to be resurrected. And for the last 2,000 years, the earth has been moaning in expectation for its king to come back and take his rightful throne. It's just my personal interpretation. I'm not saying I'm right. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And the earth is quickening in its desire to see its designer. The turn of the century. Consider this. The turn of the century from B.C. before Christ to A.D. is based Guys, the timeline of humanity is based on Jesus being who he said he was and doing what he said he would do. Well, it shouldn't be that way. We just based it on that. It doesn't matter if it should be that way. It is because that's the impact that Jesus and his claims and his supposed resurrection had on culture and the course of history. There are many who would like to see Christianity removed from our society that interpret the separation of church and state as the separation of church from state. But I think that the people who want that removal of Judeo-Christian values from the culture of these United States have forgotten what the ideology of the Roman Empire actually was. See, before Christianity, in the Roman Empire, it was acceptable to be lewd, crude, and absolutely immoral. The standard of righteousness and morality was left up to individuals' determination of how they feel. Sound familiar? In the Roman Empire's, a brothel of sodomy was a place that people were very aware of. In the Roman Empire, incest and infanticide and beheadings were commonplace. Mass murders and public nudity were just another thing that was celebrated and happened within the scope of acceptable norms. The honor-shame paradigm of the Roman Empire was that you were born into a certain social class and there you remain. And if your social class was noble, then noble you were. And if your social class was shameful, then shameful you were. The Roman Empire did not consider humility a character trait to be pursued. 
The Roman Empire actually considered humility as something that was placed on you against your will. If you were humble, it was because somebody humbled you. Enter Jesus, the Galilean man from Nazareth, who said, the Gentiles lord their authority over one another. But he who is the greatest in my kingdom will be the servant of all. It was Jesus of Nazareth that caused us to look at arrogance as an issue of someone's character. It was Jesus of Nazareth that caused us to consider humility a character trait worth pursuing. Yes, we are slowly drifting back into the acceptance of pre-Christian society. But predominantly, predominantly, Nudity in public is not something that you're just going to walk around and freely do. In fact, we don't even recommend it, whether you go to church or not. When I first started preaching, people said, if you get nervous, just picture everybody in their underwear. I said, no, thanks. There's got to be a better way. I don't want to call names, but there's got to be something else that could calm my nerves into execution of communication. Because public nudity is no longer okay, although it was then. Throwing babies off of cliffs because you didn't have the gender that you wanted is no longer okay. We consider that evil. The Roman Empire did not. Now, we've murdered 70 million babies since 1970, but that's in the womb, and that's different than throwing a child off a cliff. See how the ideology begins to shift whenever the Bible is not the standard of morality any longer. Predominantly, it's not celebrated to sleep with your siblings. It's awkward that I would even mention it from the pulpit on Easter. And that, my friends, is why we have children's ministry. Because <laughs> you just never know. <laughs> but in the Roman Empire, King Agrippa walked around with his half-sister and everybody understood that they were in a relationship that at the time was not considered inappropriate. That was a Greco-Roman mentality. Openly fornicating for all to see no longer okay not to mention we still scoff to this day we scoff at excessive displays of arrogance in fact if somebody is overly arrogant we don't even care how talented they are all we see is the attitude before the fall that is on the way guys hear me all of the things that i just said those are a western perspective of reality that's Western Greco-Roman perspective did not perceive those things to be evil one thing happened to the Roman Empire one event that changed the cultural norm one event that altered the course of history the resurrection of Jesus Christ I'll give you four examples from scripture just to make sure you don't think I'm giving you a history lesson or my own personal opinion today. Mary of Magdala. Mary of Magdala was a harlot that the Bible says 
was delivered of seven demons. Now, guys, I don't know how crazy your lady is. Ladies, I don't know how bad your morning's been. But unless you woke up with seven demons, you're doing better than Mary of Magdala. And Jesus delivered her, and she followed him. And yet, when he died, she did not return to her frivolous lifestyle. Although it could have been financially stable for her, she would continue to proclaim his name despite the fact that all the, all the Jews had to do was produce a body to defame her and prove her wrong. She became the world's first evangelist. The man she assumed to be the gardener at the tomb, but realized was the savior of the world, sent her and said, and I quote, go and tell the disciples and Peter that I have risen. Speaking of Simon Barjona, son of John, Simon Peter, talking about a guy that wouldn't even follow Jesus into a courtyard when he was arrested. The Bible says that he followed Jesus at a distance, and hear me, there is great danger in following Jesus at a distance. You're either following Jesus closely or you're not following Jesus at all. But the apostle, the rebuker, the denier, began to become comfortable with following Jesus at a distance. And instead of entering into the courtyard, he stood outside. And despite the fact that he promised Jesus, Lord, the one thing I will never do is deny you. And Jesus said, you'll do it three times by the time you hear a rooster crow. And so Simon stands outside of the courtyard and screams at a child, cusses at a little girl in order to adamantly deny that he even knows Jesus. Now listen, I don't know how bad your day has been. I've had a great morning. There were a few things, a little frustrating. We had to turn the ugly fluorescents on in first service because our light board that we just paid money for froze. Yesterday morning, I got to go on a long walk with my stepdad. Some people call it turkey hunting. <laughs> I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. I was a little tired and frustrated that I got up at 4.10 and came home at 10.30. And we had service last night. I was... I, I'm just, I get anxious at Easter. There's a lot of things going on. But I am here to honestly tell you today, no matter how frustrated I have been within the last year, I can honestly say I have not cussed at a little girl. <laughs> Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Your pastor doesn't scream at children anymore. <laughs> he denied that he ever even knew Jesus. Fast forward with me to Thomas. Thomas gets a bad rap, man. Thomas just means the twin, but we've turned him into Thomas the doubter over one phrase. I mean, my man says one phrase. He says, I will not believe in Jesus or his resurrection unless I put my hand in his wounds. And it was as if the Savior heard his challenge. And the Bible says that Thomas and the disciples we're in a room and Jesus appeared in the room. He didn't knock. He didn't tap on the window. He didn't toss a pebble. He just <laughs> appeared in the room. And I love Jesus. He has to have a sense of humor because the first thing that he says when he just <laughs> into the room is peace. 
be with you. Thomas, change your gown. Here's a change of clothes. I brought them just for you. I knew you wouldn't be ready for this. And then Jesus says, Thomas, stand up. I heard what you said. See the wound in my hands and in my feet and place your hand in the wound of my side. And Thomas went from doubting to believing in an instant. Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee on the rise of Jewish promotion, possibly on his way to being the high priest of Judaism. By the way, historically, a Pharisee had to be married in order to be a Pharisee. So the apostle Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, was either married or on the way to the marriage altar. He was at the least engaged according to be so. Which really makes sense if you read 1 Corinthians 7, how this man could so confidently speak to the value of singleness despite an unbelieving spouse. It really is interesting if you read the last few verses of 1 Corinthians 7, how Paul can actually emphasize and empathize the value of loving someone but not more than the gospel. And Saul of Tarsus, the murderer, becomes the apostle Paul, the church planting missionary. What caused these people to forsake all and die for their faith? What event took place that all 12 disciples, because even Judas took his own life because of what he believed about Jesus, all 12 disciples were martyred for their faith. Even though, remember back with me, go back to the grave. Jesus is in the tomb, rolled up. According to history, we know that that shawl that he had rolled up, he folded it like a napkin showing that he's gonna return. He has the stone. Gabriel, move the stone out of the way. I got some stuff I need to do. They roll the sealed stone with the centurion soldiers outside. The stone is rolled away. Jesus comes out of the tomb. He stands for applause at those who called him Hosanna on the way into Jerusalem. And when he comes out, all he has to say is, where'd my people go? And Gabriel says, no, 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 it's let my people go. And Jesus is like, no, no, that's the wrong story, G. <laughs> Where is everybody? Tomorrow morning, we celebrate the resurrection. Because holiness is not just a week that you celebrate, it's a life that you live. Next Sunday, I believe that the Lord will look down from his throne and say, where did my people go? What event transformed the cultural norm 
and altered the course of history for all of humanity? What event caused Mary of Magdala to be delivered and to stay delivered? What event caused Simon, the rebuking, cussing at a little kid denier, to turn into the one that would preach the gospel on the day of Pentecost to 3,000 new believers and take it to the centurion soldier that could have killed him but instead the Holy Ghost filled him. What caused Thomas the doubter to become Thomas the martyr and what happened in Saul of Tarsus that he would go from overseeing the murder of Christians to overseeing the planting of the kingdom of God. One event took place. They saw Jesus alive. That's what happened. There's no other reasonable explanation for the transformation that took place within the hearts and the lives of these individuals. Luke chapter 24, Jesus appears to his disciples and the Bible says they were startled. I bet they were. In fact, I hope heaven recorded it because I want to watch that on heaven's YouTube whenever I get up there. The disciples gathered in a room. Our worship team is coming because we're going to lead you in worship. And I want you to continue to look right here instead of at them because I'm going to stare at you awkwardly. And I may point if you're, it's still, if you're trying to look at them out of the corner of your eyes, the same, whether you turn your head. We've got a plan for that. It's just not completed yet. Jesus says they were startled. And there were some that taught that Jesus was only resurrected from the grave in spirit. It wasn't a physical resurrection. And that teaching actually began to spread across Christendom. And one of the leaders of that teaching was an agnostic man or a Gnostic man by the name of Arius. In fact, that came to the surface again just a few years back, but it was quickly shut down by people who actually believe in the Bible. And that day at the Council of Nicaea, as Arius was presenting this idea that Jesus was actually only resurrected in spirit, a man by the name of St. Nicholas, some of you may know him as Santa Claus, he came up in disdain for these heretical views of this Gnostic unbeliever and he slapped him in the face. Santa Claus slapped Arius in the face and I say, you go Santa Claus, good for you. So next Christmas when somebody denies that, no, I'm just, just wanna be like Saint Nick. I just wanna be like Saint Nick. Jesus says, hey, hey, look, look, the same thing he's gonna to say to Thomas eight days later. Look, look at the wounds in my hands. Look at the wounds in my feet. Look at the wounds in my side. Why, why did he say, look at the wounds? Hear me, hear me, because you've been hurt this year. You need to lean in for a second. Hear me, because you've got some wounds. I've said it before, but I gotta say it again. The wounds were the evidence of the resurrection. Your faithfulness is proven by your trials. 
Jesus said, put your hand in my wounds because the wounds are what show people that you believe in God no matter what you've been through. I have been buried with Christ, but I will rise to walk in the newness of life. If you don't believe me, look at the wounds, not of the crucifixion, but of the resurrection. I'm wounded, but I'm still walking. I'm hurt, but I'm still here. I used to be, but I am no more. See, you can't wound a ghost. By the way, I don't believe in ghosts because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So I believe in spirits. I believe in the Holy Ghost. (laughs) I believe in God's holy angels and a third of heaven that fell. And I also believe that powers and principalities of darkness can trick you into all kinds of things. But Jesus, Luke records does something that that really doesn't make any sense in this story in Luke chapter 24. All of a sudden, Jesus, the risen Savior, he says, hey, um, I need some fish. I think Jesus was Cajun. He came out of the tomb and asked for some fried fish. It's impressive, a little etouffee right over the top of it, a little cubion. Why did Luke write that? Why does that matter? Because Jesus was hungry? No, because Jesus was human. Because Luke wanted the world to know that he didn't just raise from the dead in spirit, but Jesus was spirit, soul, and body. Hell didn't get anything, and hell doesn't get to keep anything. Then the Bible, I love this. Then the Bible said, the Lord opened their minds. And and that's been our prayer this week. God opened the minds of people who who came in struggling with their faith. God, open the minds of people who say they believe in you, but they're not living for you. Jesus says in Luke 24, 46, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. This is in the room with the disciples after the resurrection. Here's what I think Jesus was saying to his disciples. Where were you? Where'd you go? I told you on possibly nine different occasions that I was gonna die. And it is recorded at least 21 different times that I said I was going to rise from the grave. And yet, when I did what I said I was going to do, you were nowhere to be found. God's been saying it since Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. Jesus is challenging his disciples while they were not as inspired on Monday morning as they were on Easter Sunday. While they weren't as plugged in within a year as they were the previous year. Said, did you not know that I was gonna rise from the dead? Why, why did he rise from the dead? So that you don't have to carry the guilt and the shame of the bad decisions that you made yesterday, but that you can repent for the forgiveness of sins and that should be proclaimed in his name to all nations from the beginning to Jerusalem. All right, so if the resurrection is true, then what we believe about it should change us. Uh, My wife told me to, to use us instead of you, but 
everything I do is based on whether this resurrection thing is true. So let me just change it and make it a little bit more challenging because this is how I respond to things. If you believe in the resurrection, then it should change everything about you. Hang on, look, if you don't believe in the resurrection, or if you doubt the resurrection, let me, let me tell you what you do believe because there's no gray area here. You either do or you don't. So if you don't believe in the resurrection, then you believe that 11 uninfluential, uneducated, overwhelmed Jewish men and some women overpowered the Roman government, fooled the Jewish elite, and pulled off the greatest hoax in human history that just so happened to redirect the trajectory of human history. Or, it's more reasonable to believe that there was never a body produced because Jesus went into the tomb and Jesus came out of the tomb. And if the resurrection transformed cultural norms and altered the course of human history, then the resurrection should transform your heart. And the resurrection should alter the course of your life from Easter 2023 until the day that you stand before the resurrected King. When Pilate in John chapter 18 asked Jesus, when Pilate came and asked Jesus, are you the King of the Jews? Because your people want to kill you. What have you done? Jesus responds in verse 36 of John chapter 18, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews and or you. But my kingdom is not of this world. What was Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I'm still here. God's not done. There is infinitely more. Jesus was proclaiming to all of the world that I've never lost a battle and I never will. It may look over in a moment but there is eternity on the other side of this tomb and if you will just put your faith in me then I was I am and I shall forever be the one who is able